You're listening to our premium edition. Thank you for your support of the Conversations Network. Usually we talk on the podcast and we make a show out of the talking. Wait, yeah, that's how we do time, it? Let's just, let's, just, let's just think for a minute. Let's just Hold know, on. Spend some time. I, I'm a little bit behind because I, we're sending out these letters. Those of you that are following on the camera can see that um, we're sending out letters to thank all the people on the English Stack Exchange for participating. And um, there are three little grammatical errors on here. English should be capitalized. There's grammatical errors on the English it's Stack a letter. Exchange letter. It's a letter we're sending to the top users of the English Stack Exchange. It says, as a top user on English Stack Exchange, um, blah, 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 we want to thank you for everything you do. Here's a few. Wait a minute. It's missing a period, too. Uh, anyway, so I have to proofread. There's like a stack of 100 of them I have to sign, and every single one of them needs to be proofread. Ah, well, that's and good. corrected. So. And uh, so I got distracted by that, and I don't have all my windows arranged on the screen appropriately. I do have, for some reason, a new PowerPoint, PowerPoint document. So this is exciting. I'm now, I'm now watching you guys on live stream. I can't see myself, but so which one of you is which? Um, well, actually, uh, that's Alex um, over there. The uh, guy in the black shirt is uh, Alex Miller, um, otherwise known as producer Alex. Passing behind me uh, just a second ago was David Fullerton, head of the New York dev team. Um, the on-air light is played by on-air light. And our special guest is Michael Natkin from cooking.stackexchange.com, one of our uh, civilians. And uh, also, uh, invisibly, Jeff Atwood. Yes, hello. Uh, and thank you for being with us, Michael. So I'm just currently going through... Um, My pleasure. So let's see. Are you new to the network? Wow, yeah, you're right. You are only on cooking. This is awesome. This is exactly the kind of stuff we... I don't know if you heard previous episodes of the podcast, but we had uh, the top DIY user on, and uh, he also was another person who pretty much only was on that particular site, uh, which is great because w one of our goals is to expand outside... We're always going to be a little geeky. I actually had a whole rant about that earlier, but uh, we're trying to expand a little bit outside the niche of, obviously, programmers to people that just are, you know, geeky about other topics that aren't programming. You know, geekiness of a yeah. different dimension, like if you will. Cooking nerds. <laughs> right, right. And, 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 and I actually, I, uh, I qualify on both counts. I, I've been a programmer for, what is it, coming up on 30 years, but uh, I use wow. the coding side of stack, stock exchange stack exchange uh mainly read only don't tend to comment on much if at all but uh the food one was has been fun to write on and let's see you also have herbivoracious.com yeah here i can i'll type that into the chat in case anybody's looking there oh they finally got your picture to work in the chat room oh, also oh that's you you know, f food photos every <laughs> every food blog is always like it's like food porn uh which is in a good way. I mean that in a totally positive way. Uh, just, but I feel like that's also the way half people use Twitter. It's like, look what I'm about to eat. You know, it's really pretty and it's really awesome looking and delicious looking. Right. Yeah. So I, I've uh, I started a food blog back in 2007, which probably makes it you know almost the dark ages of food blogs. Now it seems like there's a million of them every day. Uh, and definitely photography has been a big part of it. Yeah, people, they look at a dish of food, and that's what makes them want to actually try a recipe out. I think, I think that's one of the things the Internet's really added above regular cookbooks is, you know, a typical cookbook has 20 color pictures in it. You look at a website, you can really see, do I want to eat this or not? Or you can just see how it's kind of like the, uh, the stereotypical photos of food in restaurants. It looks really good, and then you fix it, and it looks really lame. <laughs> yeah, that happens well, for me all the time. Well, there is that problem too, right? But at least at least you have something to shoot for, right? You know, if if it looks like crap on the web, you know you don't want to make it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What? Um, so you may be the first uh, the first person not to come from the uh, programming audience, but you you said you were a programmer, so you use Stack Overflow just just passively, sort of. As a... Yeah, I'm a I'm an engineer at Adobe. I work on a product called oh. After Effects. Oh, um, we know After Effects. I, yeah, sure. Uh, so I've been doing, I, you know, I started programming when I was 16 and uh, worked in Industrial Light and Magic and Silicon Graphics and now cool. in Adobe. So, you know, this is all, the, the whole model seemed very tractable to me. You know, I, I definitely, like, if I'm just popping around for, yeah, I, you know, I program mostly in C++ and use a lot of libraries I'm pretty familiar with, so I don't have a ton of reference needs day to day. But if I have to bust wow. out a little Python or something, I'll end up on one of the Stack Exchange sites, and very helpful. That's always been my 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 dream, which I never accomplished, of actually getting to a level of familiarity with the tools that I was using that I wasn't constantly <laughs> looking things up. It's like there was there was one point in in the visual visual basic era where I pretty much could could do everything from memory <laughs> without having to pull out the book. 
uh, just because I had been doing so much programming. Yeah, you know, like uh, earlier today, and okay, I'm going to scare off all the cooking listeners, but, you know, for the for the coding geeks for one second, you know, earlier today, I was trying to figure out if, hey, with Boost for Each, can I delete something in the middle of the iteration, and Stack Exchange had the answer, so right. that was great. Yeah, that's the one thing you never know about those collector collections, collections whether they're going to be delete-proof, delete-safe. Yes, exactly. And what was the answer? You can, obviously. You cannot, yeah. No, you the cannot? Boost, yeah. No, the boost documentation was vague, and then somebody on Stack Exchange was quite clear that no, it measures the end iterator at the beginning. What? The hoisting. So if you yeah. delete anything, you know, you're host. So. I, I love the good. way that, well, like, why is the documentation vague? Come on, that's the obvious thing everybody's going to want to know if they can loop sure, through something. Sure, it is the first question. That's things. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the nice thing about cooking. Questions like that never come up. What, yeah. what does come up? One of the things that I noticed about cooking is it has a 100% answer rate. Yeah, I think that's because... I don't know. That's a good question, but uh, yeah, the two or three of us, you know, like me and Aeronaut and Hobo Dave, mm-hmm. can pretty much seem like we can almost answer just about anything that comes up. <laughs> you know, ninety ninety percent of the time, <laughs> throw some salt in it. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's so many, so many of the questions are, "Can I Google that for you?" You know, so yeah. The, yeah. I, I've sort of stopped answering those. That's a, a similar problem that we have on the main. Stack Overflow site, which is 4,000 questions that are either very easy or being asked by somebody who is very ill-equipped to, to understand the answer or <laughs> yeah, right. sort of polite way of putting it. Yeah. But cooking definitely, you know, we get some interesting questions on there. Like right now, one of the top questions is, how do you combine chocolate and garlic in the same dish? You know? Oh, that, that brings up the chocolate-garlic rule. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, but but actually, you know, your first answer is don't. But then you think, yeah. oh wait, mole, mole uh, chocolate. But that's like yeah, I guess so. That's just not a sweet chocolate. That's right. Yeah, the, yeah, the chocolate garlic rule, which I was taught as a child, says that there are two types of food: foods that are improved by adding chocolate, and foods that are improved by adding garlic. Ah, there you go. And so all food is in one of those two groups. It's either you know, so if you just keep some garlic and some chocolate around. You can always improve any food that you can make anything taste better. Yeah, comes by. And actually, if you combine food from the chocolate improvement group with food from the garlic improvement group, you get something gross. You know, I'm going to have to give this theory some thought. It's a good one. Yeah, or or just very interesting. We might be losing you on Skype a little, Michael. Losing me on Skype? Can oh. you, do you have me now? Yeah, we do. Okay. I uh, I twisted the cord. Maybe I kind of squeezed off some of the electrons for a second. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sounds more like a that sounds more like a cooking uh, theory than a, than a than a programming theory. <laughs> no, that, that's how plumbing dot stacking. <laughs> what are some of the uh, now? One of the things that I, I think that if it's, if if people had to uh, identify a distinguishing characteristic of the cooking stack exchange, it would be the no recipe rule. Yes, that has been extremely contentious. That's right. You know, the, uh, people get into that a lot of, well, is this a recipe request? Is it a cloaked recipe request? Uh, is it a request just for a list of good ideas? You know, so we, we sort of tried to outlaw all the kind of list poll type questions and only only take things that have some sort of determinably correct answer. Yeah. Yeah. With the, I guess the theory that there's more than enough websites out there that where you can find a recipe for stir-fried tofu or whatever it is you need. So, so I've heard. But that seems to be the main thing that people want to use the Internet for. So there's sort of a very irresistible force. You're trying to create a unique space where people can talk about um, cooking technique, I suppose, the best way to describe it. Uh, and, well, and, 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 and not be washed out by the, by the massive uh, recipe. Um, I, I, somewhere I read 22% of Internet bandwidth is recipe... Uh, Changes, <laughs> and we all know what yeah, the eight percent is. I think you're confused now with something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and it's an interesting question. Like, here's a question: What herbs would be effective in pizza dough? Okay, is that a recipe request? It's kind of a poll, right? You know, the, the, there's yeah. not a single answer to that, but it looks like it's going to get left. And honestly, I found my own role. I think you know, and I think this is a real strength of the stock exchange model is that different people can have different roles. Besides, just you know, what's your area of expertise? You have some people that are just manic about the tags and will spend time retagging every post and making sure the tag hierarchy makes sense and there aren't tags that overlap. You're like, I'm never going to do that. Mm-hmm. It's not me at all. Uh, and there's other people that are obsessional about policing the grammar, and other people that are very concerned about making sure there are no recipe requests that get through. Yeah. And, you know, I, I sort of tried all that stuff when I was first on the site, and I realized, meh, 
me me being police just it's not my bag right. so i just answer questions basically it's a very different you know, uh, profile completely the, egregious yeah yeah i mean there's some people that just like uh to to, to contribute by uh moderating and some people that like to contribute by uh um, you know, by well, uh, participating. It's more like organizing, Joel. It's like they want to organize Organized. all the books on the shelf so they're in alphabetical order, which, you know, is helpful. Yeah. doesn't hurt, but it's not really cooking, right? Right. Well, uh, you know, Jeff, I was thing. thinking about this because this, this reminds me, of, we, we've got this ongoing debate with the programmers, uh, the main programmer site, the stackoverflow.com, uh, which is, and I, I wish we could do a little study of the how, what time zones this happens in, but time zones, which are nighttime for the United States, let's put it that way, uh, we get, um, and, and actually around the clock, we get some really low quality questions um, that drive people crazy. Um, and I, I've, I've been trying to look at these and trying to understand what they are. And there's been a proposal. Did we, t- we, we might have talked about this on the podcast. I don't know if we already did, Jeff. Is this idea of having a reference, uh, closing it as if it were a reference? We definitely well, talked about it's that, kind of a variant of the question is too simple. It's, it's basically... The question is too um, easy or you're, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Please go but, away. Right. <laughs> and there's, there's some subtlety to it. Because if, if the yeah. documentation that's available on the web is bad, we actually want it on Stack Overflow because right. it's addressing a real problem. But then we get people that... <clears throat> I was just thinking about this because I, I was answering a question on Meta that I, I'm pretty sure it was a duplicate, but it was faster for me to answer it yeah. than it was for me to look up the duplicate. Not because we're doing anything wrong, but because duplicates is hard. Right? Yeah, like and figuring typing out, is easy. Yeah. And, and typing is easy, and I knew the answer, and it t- takes me like literally 30 seconds to type this in, whereas if I had to go find the duplicate... Yeah. And again, not because we're doing anything wrong, just because the nature of the workflow... Um, Right. I think this is I, some I of the stuff you run into. And the thing that's scary about it, we had a nice post on Meta Electronics about this, about uh, youth coaching of, of soccer, of, of sort of the way they handle penalty kicks. Like, if they do something wrong with the ball, do you just let them go back in immediately or do you give the ball to the opposing team? And he noted that when you give the ball to the opposing team, you basically penalize them a little bit. Like, they, they fix it really fast. Like, they stop doing that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas if you let them keep trying again... They sort of like it takes them longer to fix the underlying problem, and that's sort of the concern with some of these like really simple questions that are getting answered. Yes, they're easy and fun to answer, but you're teaching the wrong thing. You're teaching people, hey, ask your really dumb question that you should have really gone to Google for and typed it in and gotten an answer. Um, but it's faster for you and easier for you, and and everybody gets rewarded for kind of doing the wrong thing. The person asking should have done some research. I mean, just some basic basic research, hello world type stuff. And then the people answering probably should have said, you know what, this is really a duplicate. Like, I understand you have this question, but like you should have done research. Instead, they answered it. So it's tough because we have opposing incentives. You know what I mean? And and then the workflow is weird too on top of that. Like it's faster to answer than it is to sort of fix the problem. John Skeet Skeet in the chat room writes uh, that he keeps answering questions which are then closed as duplicates. And often the duplicate question was also when I answered. So, but that's John Skeet. Um, But I guess he agrees with you, Jeff. And they're not really doing anything wrong. Like I I feel bad sort of smacking people down for like, why are you trying to help people? That's terrible. You know, it's just fundamentally a hard problem. Like I don't think there is a really good answer to this. What I think I realized last night, this was one thing that happened, which is funny last night is I clicked on a random question and I was like, my God, this person does not know how to write a loop. They are asking, how do I make a loop? And that wasn't their actual question. They were actually saying, I have the following problem. I need to do the following thing to these files. The files are in this format, and I need to do it to all of the files or something like that. And the answer was, like, use a loop. And, um, and then I, as I'm trying, and this is in the middle of the night. I woke up. I couldn't sleep. I went and found this question. It drove me crazy. And then as I start falling asleep, I realized that the particular question they were answering, you could go into quite a lot of depth with that one. And in fact... Uh, it would be a very interesting algorithm problem uh, in, of how to actually optimize it, make it really fast if you needed to do it in a very performant way. Um, you know, because there was sort of a wide range of possible answers to his specific problem that actually reflected the use of lots of different interesting data structures and different algorithms. And it is the kind of thing that maybe a CS major uh, would and should know how to do, but certainly not every working programmer has the right has enough training. And the more I thought about the question, the more I realized that it was kind of subtle. There were other questions there. And so that one I would have been like, oh, God, the guy doesn't know how to program. Let's close it. Um, but when I thought about it, it was really actually, you know, some, some, some good things might have come out of the question. When I thought about it more, 
I was a little bit pissed off because his question was phrased in the do my homework kind of way, which is, I'm having this very specific programming problem right now. How do I solve my problem? I don't care about anybody else. I don't want to give you the general question. I just want to give you the, my assignment and, and, and have you tell me what to, what to do. And that's always aggravating because you don't want to put a lot of effort into solving one person's problem. You want to create things that, that help a lot of people. Right. But, but then what I realized is essentially this becomes, you know, our, even though our intuition is to say, oh, we got to close these questions. They're too, they're too basic. Um, as uh, uh, Brian asked on, on, on the chat room, uh, uh, Brian Driscoll just a second ago, he said, what is the minimum expected level of competency on Stack Overflow or any Stack Exchange site? I mean, is it okay to just say, listen, this is for professional programmers. If you don't know, you know, some basic algorithms and data structures, don't come on here. <laughs> it's not for you. Uh, but then I realized that it actually becomes a little bit self-regulating in the sense that people look at those things and they either want to answer them or they don't. And if they don't want to answer them, fine. They don't get answers. And so the great questions, you know, maybe the bad questions displace some of the good questions or, or take up space that good questions could be occupying. But I feel like there's sort of a little marketplace saying, you know, if you can't get – if your question – shows disrespect for the answerer by not having done the basic research, then the answerer might just choose not to answer your question. Yeah, and I guess the question to me is, do you care? Like, does it matter whether the site is 100% signal or does it matter whether all the important stuff is there, even if there's a bunch of noise that maybe nobody will ever find again? Mm -hmm. You know, and if, if you find your answers, I mean... I don't know about you. Personally, I don't go look for the answers on Stack Overflow. I go to Google, and it often takes me to Stack Overflow, in which case that's it's going to take me to a relevant yeah. answer. And that's the, that's the intention, yeah. yeah. So if that's the case, then what do I really care if there's a bunch of you know, poorly phrased questions with bad answers that I'll never see? Uh, you might. <laughs> they might have the right keywords, and Google might be confused. Uh, or, right. or, or they might actually um, uh, have a question but no answer because uh, nobody wanted to answer them because they were poor quality, and then... Uh, Eventually, people start getting pissed off when they find Stack Overflow in the search results because it doesn't doesn't really answer their questions. Yeah, know. true. There there is there is some risk with uh, allowing noise in there. This is, uh, but but the, but the interesting thing is that there are always, um, you know, that people at, there are actually lots of different levels of people working as programmers, and even people not working as programmers who might be, you know, scientists or engineers who need to use a computer to get something done, uh, and they have no choice but to write a simple program, uh, you know, drawing upon their Fortran training of, of a, <laughs> just like uh, I actually had to make dinner uh, last Friday night. There was, there was no choice. I had to make uh, breakfast burritos for dinner, and they weren't terrible. You know, starting with breakfast for dinner is always an optimum choice, right? <laughs> yeah. Especially if your cooking skills are borderline. Like, everybody loves like, breakfast. For what did so we have in the house? We had four tortillas, which seemed to last forever in the fridge. What is with those things? And uh, and we had some fresh eggs and uh, beans. We had a can of beans in the in the uh, in the uh, pantry. So I was in, and salsa. Yeah, I mean, Americans, like, you could serve most Americans, you could serve them pancakes one night and omelets the next night, and you know, go on like that, and they'd be completely content, right? <laughs> I love it. You're a vegetarian, Michael. I am a vegetarian, yeah. That, that's, that's, I, I have to say that that's a little bit unusual. I'm a vegetarian myself, but to be both a foodie and a vegetarian uh, can be uh, difficult. Yeah, that's sort of my niche. You know, in fact, the first name for my website was the Vegetarian Foodie. I just sort of hated the word foodie. Uh -huh. You know, so I had to get rid of that. And so I had like a little contest, and we came up with Herb Voracious, which, you know, boy, that was brilliant. Out of the frying pan into the fire, and now I have a name nobody can pronounce or type. So, and uh, and you worked at uh, Cafe Flora. That's in Seattle, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I ate there. That's like that, I, that, the thing I remember was the edible flowers on the salad. Oh, yeah. And yeah, also yeah. that I could order anything that was on the menu, which is very unusual. <laughs> that a feeling? I know. I know. I, you know. I only probably eat at vegetarian restaurants a few times a year, and it's always so weird to have more than two choices. I know. You're like, well, and when, when I'm in a regular restaurant, I'm like, why are you guys taking so long to choose from the menu? I just go to the bottom, and then there's one thing there that I can order. It's always the sort of like, oh, so this is what normal people experience every day. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I definitely um, had that experience. Know. The key thing, though, if you're going to be a vegetarian is to not have too many other food restrictions, right? Not to be, oh, and by the way, I hate chard, and I'll only <laughs> eat carrots if they're cooked with honey. Yeah. And, you, know, you start doing that, you're really no, <laughs> in trouble fast. Yeah. You know? yeah. Totally. Um, uh, the, the, um, it, which also reminds me of an episode of, uh, there, there was an episode of the HBO series Treme that takes place in um, 
uh, restaurant in New York, and it was a real thing that actually happened in Momofuku. Momofuku, yeah. Momofuku. So um, this, you're going to give me a spoiler, but I'll forgive you. But I'm up through like episode nine of the first season of Treme. Oh, it's just but a side, I, but I know uh, side plot. I know she's moving to New York, so it's okay. Yep. Okay, me. so she works at Momofuku for a while with David Chang as a guest star, I believe, on the on the on the show. And I, I guess what happens is a vegetarian comes in, orders the soup, asks if it's going to be vegetarian, is told that it is, and then discovers that it's made with chicken broth, as all soups are. And um, gets angry that the soup was served the chicken broth, something like some kind of story like that. So David Chang, this is, I believe, a true story. Establishes a policy that there will be bacon in every dish. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of right. He's famous for hating vegetarians. You know, he's definitely made a point of it. You know, and, and I sort of like I can respect that. You know, I, I was funny, in New York. At least. <laughs> Yeah. I was in New York uh, early this year. I was doing a stage at a, a fantastic restaurant uh, called Dirt Candy. And she's like six blocks from all the David Chang restaurants. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to go up there. And I, I should have gone to Milk Bar. He's, they've got a few things there I could eat. But, yeah, I mean, he's like so hardcore on the anti-vegetarian. I'm like, okay, I respect that. You don't want my business. That's cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's why he is, is that he's – he. it's not even so much I think about being anti-vegetarian, too, as he's just – hates this idea that people think like every restaurant should shape their menu to every diner coming in the door he takes the approach of look i'm going to make food and if you want it come eat here if you don't don't and he hates when people come in there like well i don't want to have like i know you spent like weeks creating this dish and playing with different things but i want you to take out this element this element and this element he's like yeah well those are critical to the dish like i know it doesn't sound great but like together it works yes you will have mayonnaise on the pork sandwich you know i respect it i think that's cool i you know there's not very many restaurants that can get away with that honestly you know uh he's he's genius and his houses are packed and he doesn't need to really be concerned about you know losing the few people that'll turn away that's totally fine you know i think and and also i think it would suck if all restaurants operated that way honestly i mean you look at america today and like i mean look at my freaking extended family we go out for dinner we've got like Three kids that are gluten free, two adults that are vegetarian, four people that are allergic to nuts. You know, one person that hates anything, yeah. eating anything that doesn't have meat. You know, <laughs> it, it, you know, that, that's a family, and they want to go out for dinner. So yeah, they should well, be able to do that. Right? There's two categories. There's sort of the destination restaurant where the food is like this event, which is like, oh my god, we have to taste the chef's food. And then there's right. sort of the, you know, either we stay at home and make breakfast for dinner, or we go out because we're lazy, <laughs> and we need a restaurant that's a lot more. Uh, you t- Utilitarian, I guess. I mean, obviously, you want the food to be good, but yeah. it's sort of serving a function. It's what uh, what uh, Tim and Nina Zagat call the bath restaurant, best alternative to home restaurant. Right, right, right. And I think there's a lot of room in between too, right? I mean, you you should be able to go out for a really good meal that also can be somewhat modified to meet the needs of the people that are there. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, but there's room for the artists to the you know to say my way or the highway. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, what else is on the what else is on the news uh, this week, uh, Jeff? Well, I, I wanted to cover sort of the top questions on cooking because it's really okay. an interesting blend. So if you go to uh, cooking.stackexchange.com or I believe seasonedadvice.com also works. Yeah, they were one of the few sites that came up with a good uh, they domain. Squeezed in with a real domain name. They squeezed in, uh, and then you click on month. That's what I like to do on a lot of sites that I don't go to very often is sort of look at the what is the best – I'm using air quotes here the, – the most upvoted questions within the month. Mm-hmm. And what strikes me here, Michael, and maybe you can comment on this, there's a lot of like sort of equipment type questions. And the one about how to patent recipes is really – it's mm-hmm. interesting that that's one of the top questions. There's a, a nice variety of sort of stuff. Like I, I suck at cooking. Like I can't cook. I don't I, – like spaghetti maybe. Um, but this is really interesting. Like creating a high-protein food for hiking, it's – kind of a smorgasbord of of stuff here (laughs) right these are good questions right i mean nothing on this front page looks like an obvious poll or recipe request or extremely basic or you know i mean i think these are solid questions yeah but it's also not like sort of the hardcore like you said foodie like in the bad way of like people being jerks to each other and being you know very haughty about like oh you're not using the correct food this is just practical stuff almost yeah I've, I've definitely found that i mean there's certainly some people that hang out here that are up to date on the you know the latest stuff but uh, like, there's hardly ever any questions that go into what people sometimes call molecular gastronomy, or you know, nowadays we call it modernist cooking, yeah. or modernist cuisine. You know, I, I will occasionally answer a question with, "Well, what you really want to do is use some xanthan gum," and uh, you know, I, I sort of <laughs> implicitly see the blank stares go. You know? oh. 
I was very right. tempted to buy that book. If it wasn't by Nathan Mervold, I would uh, I would have bought a bunch of copies for the users on Season Advice. But I didn't. I'm trying to figure out a way to do that without getting him any money, since he's an evil patent troll. Well, I'm 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 not going to dive into that one with you. I've got a lot of respect for the guy. Yeah, but. he's a, a very interesting uh, sh- chef. I guess he is. He's an amazing cook. Yeah. I mean, uh, they did a beautiful thing. I've got my copy, and uh, I'm reading it front cover to back. Yeah, or, I'm sure or, it's an astonishingly awesome book. Yeah, ah, you just have to wait till it starts showing up on eBay. <laughs> yeah, that'll probably happen. Buy it in the secondhand market. Photocopy it, Joel. I'm Go gonna... to the library. <laughs> it's color. It's like it's like 900 pages too. Oh, modernist cuisine. Oh no, it's 2,400 pages. It's, uh, uh, six volumes, 2,400 pages, and uh, is it on Amazon? Pages. What's the title of this? Yeah, book? it's on Amazon. Modernist cuisine. Modernist cuisine. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay, six hundred and twenty-five dollars. That's you know that's not that bad. Yeah, it's eight hundred on eBay. That's like if you don't want to give any money to, to Marvel, you have to buy. the signed edition is seventeen hundred. Like, so, but yeah, there's there's a lot of good questions on there, and, and you're right. A lot of them are very basic. Like, how do I learn about the ratios, or you know. And also, a lot of people trying to jury rig things. That's a common one. Like, can I sharpen a knife with sandpaper? Sure. Can you shop it on the bottom of a ceramic mug? Sure. It might not really be sharp when you're done, but... Yeah, that's not really what sharpening is. What sandpaper does is not... You really want to straighten a knife more than sharpen it. Well, you straighten it with a steel, and yeah. you you, know, you sharpen it with stones. But you're right. I mean, unless your knife is knife is very dull, it probably probably needs stealing first. This is true. Although uh, most what is your impression... Michael, what is your impression of like sort of the influx of users? Like one one thing we look at with Stack Exchange sites is, you know, a are they growing to some degree? I mean, they don't have to grow like to be enormous, but we want to see some signs of life, and that means a little bit of growth. And one thing we definitely do like to see, and I actually look for this on Meta where I participate all the time because it's kind of my job, uh, sure. is that new users are coming in, like people you haven't mm-hmm. seen before, sort of magically appear and actually start, you know, engaging. Right. Um, and even on Meta, which is kind of a sometimes a uh, a tough place to participate uh, for various reasons because i mean everybody's seen everything a million times like you can't show me anything i have never heard of on meta Uh, (laughs) so it better be good is my point um uh, are you seeing an influx of new users i mean do you see or is it just sort of the same cast of characters or what's your impression of that you know it's a little bit of a mix like i just popped over to the quarterly reputation league just to have a look here because i've actually been a little bit slack and so i only got 350 points this quarter which is next to nothing um, and it looks like Hobo Dave, who is you know the, definitely the biggest ringleader, is right there with me. And I, you know, I see like ten people past me there, and I only know about half their names. So yeah, I'm thinking we got a few new people in there. It's good, good to see. Okay, good. Well, I was just looking at sort of your informal opinion. Like it, it, on Meta, I do see people come in and you know pr- produce some amazing answers, which is always very very encouraging. But uh, yeah, and I think if you important. don't see that a site is dying, I mean we we can't have sort of the same ten people on the site for a year, right? Right. And, I, you know, I think that sort of separates out into who's asking questions and who's answering them. And, you know, and I, and I think that's one of the important things, too, that we got better about on cooking was at first there was a tendency to be pretty harsh with people when they either asked a bad question or gave a bad answer or went off topic or were rude or whatever. You know, there there wasn't the gentle sort of like, that's maybe not quite the right question, but if you rephrase it like this, we can help you. You know, and so I think we had a lot of people that we turned off too quickly. Oh, really? Uh, well, interesting, because, yeah. I mean, we definitely agree that particularly on uh, – if you're a big city, you, you kind of have to be rude to people because you don't you have time to sort of Teach deal everyone. with all <laughs> this massive influx of people. Like, you'd spend – your entire day would be nothing but that. You'd have no right. time for actual productive work. But on smaller sites, sure, yeah, you do want to be a little bit err on the side of tenderness when it comes to new users. Even you know, if they're even a little bit salvageable, you should spend the effort. I mean, if they just come in and post nonsense, you don't necessarily have to be super nice to them. Uh, but if there's some hope that they can form complete sentences right. uh, and maybe write something that doesn't isn't completely off topic, then you should sort of be a little tender. And I think one of the interesting questions, too, is when you get a question that you think is fairly salvageable, do you edit it for them or you just suggest to them how to edit it? You know? That's a good question. I mean, I, I, I don't like to wait. Um, I don't know. That's actually – that would be a good question for the chat room. It's like if you see somebody that you think has potential – is it leave the comment and wait for them to do it or just, you know, sort of do it for them? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very yeah. much a do it for them kind of guy. Like, I'm very impatient. I'm like, look, I'm just going to fix your question. <laughs> they have to, it's yeah. important that they see it and they get what's going on. 
Yeah. Yeah, I've tended to go that route too, but then some people sort of felt like, hey, that's more in your face. If, you know, they asked something and you totally changed it than just gently telling them. But I don't know. To me, I'd rather just, if you're going to improve it and answer it, just do it. Yeah. I, I feel like um, th- we're, we're going to, one of these days, we might get towards this purgatory proposal, which we were talking about. Uh, um, not not on the podcast. The purgatory proposal says that a question comes in and people see it and they're like, ah, this thing really needs to be edited to be more grammatical or get needs to get to the point sooner or uh, needs to be, you know, can be improved. But right now, I'd, I'd rather not be answered. And then the question sort of gets flagged into a purgatory where the user has to fix it and then it comes out uh-huh. of purgatory when after the I, that's the the theory of that idea i don't know if it matters that much or if that's really the right thing i could see that being good you could even uh, you know sort of put them behind some sort of no follow no index whatever so that if they don't get answered or fixed then they just you know they're not found cluttering up google right. or anything else it, it might be that they that they're the only person that sees their question until they at least edit it once yeah. And, and you'd use this for sort of relatively extreme situations where mm-hmm. the, the user appears to not be caring very much about our community. Right. All right, right. Cool. Um, but this idea that you're, you're educating other users, I mean, and, and, and going back to uh, the original discussion you had of, like, the, these borderline questions, Joel, of, mm-hmm. uh, and actually going back to Stack Overflow, it's like, is this question of value is there's really maybe two things to look at one is that is it interesting to answer you know because yeah. ultimately you kind of want to serve the people answering because without them you don't have a Q&A system you just have a queue system and that doesn't work too well yeah. uh, but on top of that I think they're really the, the, the tiebreaker in a lot of these situations where we have these marginal questions like ah, I don't know if this belongs does it not belong could I? Could someone in the field learn something from this? You know, is, is it really a learning type question where you'd read that and go, "Oh, I learned something." Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's something really simple or something little, um, or or is it just you know rudimentary by the numbers one two three four? You know, everybody knows this. So I, I think the learning factor is really a big one, and that's not just teaching new users sort of what the values of the Q and A system are, like why we are so strict about sort of no-nonsense rule, like, what is that for? Like, why do we have that? Not because we're rule-obsessed jerks. <laughs> it's because we, we believe in the value of, of really useful information. That's why we're here. And that's sort of what you're trying to teach them. It's like, it's not a rule because we're jerks. It's a rule because, hey, information is awesome, you know, and I'm here to learn stuff, and so sh- you should be too. And if you're into that, then awesome, you know, come on and, you know, go along on the ride with us. Um, so I think yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's an, that gets to be an interesting one. Like, when you're asking in a programming terms, you all, you know, to go back to an earlier example, like, is it safe to delete stuff in a boost for each? That has a that has a yes-no answer. When you get to right. food, there's a lot more aesthetic questions. And so, you know, it's a lot hard. And one person's like, boy, that's a really just disgusting question. Is another person's like, that's what I eat every day. You know. <laughs> Grasshoppers. <laughs> like, yeah, or, or like here's, I mean, even to pick a prosaic one, here's a question about can I make hummus without a food processor? And the premise of the question is they want their hummus to be really thick. <laughs> well, hummus isn't supposed to be really thick. That's like disgusting American hummus that you can like glue two bricks together with. You know, if you, like hummus is supposed to be like almost a liquid. It's supposed to be smooth what? and creamy and delicious, you know. So, uh-huh. like, like, so, you know, do, do you answer them with yes, but your question's completely, you know, you, you're trying to make something gross? Well. <laughs> no, I mean they have a question. They want to know how to do this, so fine. <laughs> you know. Well, you brought up a really good point. It's like, okay, you're making hummus the wrong way, and and like, what are the rules around that? There's a really good uh, post on Waxy dot uh, com about sweet tea, and it's a guy who runs a restaurant. The anecdote is about this restaurant that he frequents. I think he lives in Portland. I may be wrong about this. And he asked about the tea. He's like, I want sweet tea. And the proprietor, it was one of the proprietors, like, no, that's disgusting. He's like, I'm not even going to let you do that. He's like, if you, but if you want to ruin your tea, you know, the, the honey is over there. Go crazy. But he's like, I'm not going to make it because it's wrong. And the gist of the post was, was that, you know, you sort of end up with a better result with, with somebody that, that sort of has a vision. And, you know, not necessarily will tell you to go away, but he's not going to support you in doing things like making hummus that's sort of the wrong hummus. <laughs> yeah, right. And I can sort of see the value in that. It's like, look, you know, if you want to do this here, but, you know, 
this isn't really the right thing. Where's the, where's the question, uh, Jeff, on Yahoo Answers about every time I eat dirt, my, my, my face turns red and my arm shakes? The answer is don't eat dirt. Stop no, no, eating no, but dirt. He, he edits it, and he's, uh, it's yeah. like, I didn't ask you if I should be eating dirt or not. So just answer the damn question. <laughs> yeah. Well, it goes back to the same discussion we had with Rory, though, about why fascism can be good in tech. It's the same reason that like Apple products tend to work really well, especially like the phone and the iPod and the iPad, which is their viewpoint kind of is we don't care what you think you want and what you think makes a good feature. Like we know what will make it work well. We're going to make it and you can either take it or leave it. Well, right. I think the important thing to remember there is there's other places to go. Basically, it's telling people, look, we don't do that. It's like you can do that, but not here. Right. Is that, <laughs> that's I think the. You, but not here is, is lost on the people. It's like, you're, you're slamming the door in my face. It's like, no, no, no. There are places, if you just want to have random discussions, a lot of people, we st- every day, well, not every day, at least once a week, somebody complains, I can't have a random discussion on Stack Overflow or programmers. More like, we have to patiently explain to them, this yeah. is just not what we do. Yeah. There are other places, there's so many places to have just a random discussion about, you know, what's your favorite Java string method? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you go crazy. There's 50 different places I can think of you can do that. It's like, why do you have to do it here? You know, and that's what they object to. It's like, no, 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 I want to do it here. And yeah. that's, I want that, to I use the with address that. book of my, of my phone of my phone to keep all my frequent flyer miles. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I'm putting my frequent flyer mile accounts in my address book. And I was like, well, you know, that, that one actually you can do. <laughs> you can't have a conversation in there. Right. Um, right. But that's because it's uh, it, 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 we're, we're sort of making fun of people, but essentially we're taking people out of a world of forums. Like what we're trying to do is separate um, two activities or, or multiple activities that all used news groups, forums, listservs, mailing lists, Usenet, etc. All those functions on the Internet used to come from one type of software, which was either a threaded or non-threaded conversation. There was a conversation starter. And what we noticed early on, which is how we figured out the Stack Overflow idea, was um, 80% of that starts with a question and then is followed by multiple answers, and it's not served well by the forum software. Let's just take that one thing out, keep the forum around for your discussions and your community and your talking about the news, and get the questions in a channel that's designed for questions. And the trouble is people see that channel and they're like, oh, it's a chat room with voting. Right. And there's, uh, you know, to take a legendary example of that, uh uh, and going back to Nathan Mirvold on eGullet, which is a you know, foodie forum site, there's this legendary thread where people were talking about sous vide cooking back in the early days mm-hmm. of uh, that being popular. So this is super, super, super slow cooking by like putting. Uh, how, how do you do it? You put a, you put you put some tuna fish near a light bulb or something, and so typically what you do. It, this isn't the only way, but typically what you do is you put some food in a plastic vacuum bag, you vacuum all the air out of it, mm. and then you put it in a tightly controlled water bath where the temperature is managed within, say, like yeah. one degree centigrade. Yeah, or the dishwasher. You throw it in the dishwasher as well. Well, yeah. There's uh, actually people have asked, you know, can you cook a can you cook a fish sous vide in the dishwasher? The answer is eh, sort of, <laughs> uh, but but uh, if you do, especially with meat, but also with vegetables, if you cook it at a like a very precise temperature, maybe it's 100, 165 degrees, will make your egg yolks come out just like perfectly smooth and bright yellow with no green ring and tender. You know, one more degree, they'll be a little bit firmer and three more degrees and they'll have an ugly green ring. Anyhow, the sous vide cooking thread started on eGullet and it, uh, Nathan Mirvold was involved in answering questions on it. And this thread has grown to like 3,400 answers or something like that. And clearly, that's the sort of thing that belongs on the Stack Exchange, right? Yeah, that's, you know, that's just not helpful. Like, hey, nobody's gonna, nobody can possibly read that, and a lot of it is just YouTube quality comments. That's right. I exactly. can say that without well, having even seen it. <laughs> we've looked at. Yeah. I remember Joel. We talked about eGullet. Isn't there something about that site? I mean, that was another. We we try to look at like com- comparable communities. Like, if somebody was on Cooking Stack Exchange videos, or they weren't on. Uh, where would we like to attract users from? I think eGullet was one of the places that we looked at, wasn't it? I remember us looking at this. It would be a logical place to look at that you have a lot of very smart people hanging out there, definitely, you know, that have answers to contribute in a lot of discussions that, that actually are question and answer based, you know, that have something factual in them. And what's your opinion? I mean, do you participate there, Michael? Uh, I don't as much as I used to. It, you know, it's I, that's more of a reference site for me than when I go chatting on. You know, and part of it is I, I devote most of my online time um, to to developing my own site, Herbivoracious. So. Oh, sure. And that's, just, uh, that's, 
the way it should be, of course. Yeah, everything else is more of a, sort of a, an outpost for me. Right. Uh, you know, it's a stack exchange. I look at it as, I mean, partially I use it just because I love it, but I also use it as a way to uh, draw people into what I'm doing over on the recipe site. Not by linking to it, but just hoping people will notice me there. And looking at my profile and coming back to say, well, hey, this guy's given a lot of good answers. What else is he up to? Yeah. And I do, you know, actually I think that's something Stack Exchange could do more of, and that would incent more experts to participate. We uh, sort of, um, I mean, that's more sort of, of the idea behind, behind Stack Overflow careers. Uh, well, I was just curious, what, what do you mean specifically? Because we just had a meeting yesterday where we were talking about, you know, promoting the air quote brand and yeah. i had a I, I get the hives when people say that to me because what i really want us to be doing is promoting people like you because what makes the sites good is the fact that people like you participate on these sites and really the point of this exercise is a to create you know a, a public park that everybody can enjoy and participate in. it's you know it's a common space it's owned by everyone it's creative commons all that good stuff so we're like forest rangers ultimately but the people who make it really really good are, are the people that i really want to elevate like i want people to know who you are i don't want necessarily want people to follow you know, like the, the, the cooking Twitter account, I wanted to follow your Twitter account and find your blog, you know, Herbert Voracious. Right, right, right. I, and I think that would be, I mean, honestly, that would be a bigger incentive to me than, you know, seeing my name up in lights on the point scoreboard, although that's nice too. But, uh, you know, I'll be honest, like I have checked my referrer logs to see, does Stock Exchange drive anybody back to my site? And the answer's, you know, basically no. Um, and that doesn't disincent me from wanting to participate because I think it's a really interesting community. But uh, I'd be there a lot more if uh, if I thought it was sort of benefiting my well, main goal. Well, one thing I want to point out is you, it is completely valid to link to your own blog as answers. Like if somebody has a question and yeah. one of your blog entries is relevant, absolutely. In the context of answering a question, it's right. completely fair to bring that up and link to it and even quote it. <laughs> Um, as Absolutely. long as the one thing we're kind of strict about is it does need to be a standalone answer. Like if for some reason the inter- that part of the internet went dark, it would still right. be a viable answer even if that link Absolutely. didn't work. Yep. But we yeah, encourage no, people to link. I this, mean, uh, Jeff, I, this comes back to something we were talking about, uh, just a little piece of something we were talking about with the cast team of uh, having a field where people can just put in their Twitter handle or their Google Plus page or whatever it is so that uh, essentially we can – to some extent, automatically funnel certain traffic. So, for example, we could give you a consolidated Twitter feed of all the people on a particular stack exchange or, you know, a combined RSS feed or something like that. It's, it's, it's all sort of, I mean, there's lots of different aspects there, but essentially the idea is that, um, you know, by participating in uh, stack, we should be sending you back. We should be reflecting out traffic back to you wherever your sites are. Well, here's a dumb way you could do it that would be, I think would be fun. It's just, you know, everywhere there's a question or answers, you have people's little, uh, you have their avatar and their their name, which is a link back to their profile page. Maybe one out of every thousand times you show somebody's name, you could also put their website or their uh, Twitter handle right there. Yeah. Well, a couple things we already do, I just want to make sure people are aware of. We're pretty strict about no follow. Um, we experimented a little bit with sort of we, – there was this idea that once a post gets voted up enough, we turn off nofollow and we follow those links mm-hmm. because they're eventually good links. Um, right. Ultimately, it just turned out to be too risky because we can't uh, – it's really risky because the penalties for that are severe, like business ending severe. Like right. if Google decides you're doing something wrong, then the penalties are like swift and merciless. <laughs> um, yes. However – the one link we have always followed and will always follow is it, once you get to 2,000 reputation, we follow the link, the URL field on your profile. Like we profile, start right. communicating Google Juice back to you on that. And that's Definitely. always been that way for, gosh, at least two years. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. So, But I, I really like your idea of sort of like at random sort of mixing in. Um, we could have uh, – yeah, I mean the, the, the little profile that we use to, to show who you are could actually you know, expand – more readily and show you more information from the profile, maybe on a mouse over or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just coming to that same idea. Yeah, if you hover over that and you'd see a little bit of snippet of the profile, including the link, that would be beautiful. Yeah, just to know that there's more, especially somebody that's gone to the effort of filling out bits of their profile. Um, You know, some people just leave it out and they're just user 1604327. Yeah, and you could could also only do that for people with a certain amount of rep or whatever. Um, uh, Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think all those ideas would definitely, whichever one you did, would definitely incent more people who, you know, both want to altruistically contribute, but also want some benefit back. Yeah. Well, that's definitely our intent. It's, it's all, uh, as Jeff said, it's all about the contributors. It's not about our showing off. Uh, people, every once in a while, about one out of 10 times that I explain Stack Overflow, um, somebody, the person I'm explaining to will say, so you answer programming questions on the internet for people. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it's not us doing it, actually. And actually, the, the further away you get from true internet participants, the more they think that's the case. I think if I, you know, if I'm talking to dentists and doctors, they're likely to, you know, the, the nine out of 10 times, they just think that. That, that's my job. I sit there and answer people's programming questions on the internet. I got that question from my mom a couple of days ago. Of, yep. Wait, do you guys actually pay people to sit in your office and answer questions? Yeah, no, uh, we just we just yeah, nailed it. Not quite. I've, I've spent uh, approximately 20 years of my life explaining to people, no, I don't make movies. No, I don't make commercials. I make software that other people use to make commercials and movies. You know, wait, the, wait, so, you make, so you make movies and commercials. Right. That's what I'm exactly. doing. Okay, yeah, I, I make pretty pictures. <laughs> if, if if I was required to actually make movies, nobody would ever watch a movie. <laughs> um, anyway, let's uh, let's move on to some other stuff. Any news, uh, Jeff? Uh, in the um, uh, we in the did uh, we made some changes that just went out to some of the Twitter feeds. So I, I would like uh, people to sort of look at those a little bit more. If you go to stackexchange.com/sites, um, look for the little Twitter icon. It's on most of the newer sites. Uh, there are arcane reasons it's not on the trilogy, so please don't complain about that yet again. Uh, but I would like people to look at those as they're coming in. The, 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 we turned up the frequency a little bit. It's every two hours now. Is that, how long has this, have this link been there on sexchange.com? Uh, for at least a couple weeks. Oh, okay. It's a relatively new-ish change. We don't have a heck of a lot of followers on there, so we're, we're at this point where we're kind of trying a lot of different things to try to figure out. There's a, to, to our listeners, well, we you want to make surprised. it more interesting. There, there is a Twitter feed per Stack Exchange site, and uh, and what they what they used to tweet at is just interesting slash hot questions. So, Jeff, recently you added a bunch of cool things to what they tweet. Yeah, it's just, well, it's just more variety. I mean, it was it was just doing you know interesting questions, which I think is is plenty. Uh, it was also doing blog entries. If if the site has a per site blog, mm-hmm. which I do want people to check out, go to blogoverflow.com. Yeah, another a lot uh, of the newer communities. A lot of the more popular communities are actually starting blogs that are really very, very good. Like, I was impressed. Like, I I tend to assume everything's going to suck. I mean, I, I don't want to make people <laughs> feel bad, but mostly just so that I don't feel bad when I look out at the world. It's like, oh, everything's going to suck. It's like, look, it does suck. I'm not disappointed, right? But uh, the blog stuff has been really good. Like, I mean, I've been really impressed. Like, Super User Blog has been amazing. Uh, Stats has a blog. Security has a blog. They're all very, very good. And again, this speaks to the quality of the people that we're attracting to these communities. I mean, that's really what it's about. And, you know, they have the author button. They are writing these great blog entries. So um, check that out. Um, and that's related to the Twitter because we do tweet the uh, blog entries as they come in. There were uh, some um, – yeah, speaking of the blogs, there were, there were some tweaks around that, right? Um, the, 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 if you post a new blog post in your community's blog, uh, it now uh, will show up in the header. You'll get a little new blog light going on on yeah. your stack exchange itself so people will find out about your new post which has been disturbingly effective like i've <laughs> I, I accidentally realized that also works for the stack overflow slash stack exchange blog because yeah. i was wondering why so many people were commenting on the newest blog entry because we haven't seen quite as many comments uh but that's why because on stack overflow there was this big new icon <laughs> and actually that's on page. all the stack exchanges too right because the stack exchanges that don't have their own blog go to our blog that's true that's true. Oh, yeah, and then, yeah. oh, we got 27 comments on the tag thing. Yeah, that was a lot. Well, it was a, it was a big change, but that's, I think that's nah, driven by is, that change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's driving great. a lot more traffic. And then the super user guys were noting that they got like six times the amount of traffic they normally get on the super user blog based on that. Awesome. So it's definitely working. Yes. Uh, who so knew that you need how, to link how to how you, uh, <laughs> So how does this page. work in terms of uh, who, who gets to post on a blog? Uh, there's a blog and well, I, meta alert. <laughs> there's a blog entry on Stack Exchange blog, sort of about the process and how it works. But basically, all you need is someone that says, "Hey, you know, I, I have some stuff I want to write about." Now, honestly, Michael, I, for you, I'm not sure it would make sense because I, I think you should keep your content on your blog. Uh, but if you have some topic that just doesn't fit on your blog for some reason, and you feel like, "Hey, I would love to write about this," and it's an opinion thing, you know, it wouldn't fit on Stack Exchange because it's not a Q and A format. It's not something right. that has a reasonably definitive answer. It's it's sort of like you want to make a statement, like the yeah. statement in air quotes. 
then that's what the blog is for. Um, and all it really takes is uh, the motivation to, hey, I want to write something. We basically do do everything we can to set up the blog for you, make it really easy, make it one click. You know, you just type into the form and click submit and everything. We do all the grunt work to make it hook up with the site. Cool. Um, yeah. Somebody put the blog, uh, Michael put the in, the blog entry in the chat room. That is kind of... T- um I, I guess I shouldn't pre-announce things that aren't happening yet, but today I was talking to the chaos team and they got very excited about the idea of having a chaos, uh, tumblog. Oh yeah. It's, um, at being in my, the mid forties never would have occurred to me that, that there could be something. They're all like, Oh yeah, we have seven each. Like, they, they are we sure we don't want to do that on our, our own platform? I mean, I, I'm glad that, um, yeah, the, well, the big advantage of Tumblr, um, is that, you post something, and if your friends kind of like it, they retumble it, and then it shows up on their dashboard, much like Twitter. So it actually creates right. um, it, it. It generates a lot of circulation. Essentially, you, you'll start much like Twitter. If you write good stuff, you'll start to. It's got kind of the RSS built in, and you'll start getting uh, followers. Well, I I'm kind of glad Marco is not at Tumblr anymore, so we can say some mildly negative things Go about ahead. Tumblr. F- fire. Well, just because I, I wanted to like Tumblr, I'd heard a lot of good things about it, but it, it's just, A, it's very, very slow. I found the UI very clunky. Um, we just had a lot of issues with Tumblr. Like, it just, it wasn't really pleasant to use yeah. uh, at all. In fact, it was actively unpleasant to well, use. It's uh, massive numbers of people use it, so it's either gotten I know, better I know, I know, and uh, that's why I'm surprised, because like, oh, this is going to be really fun. Cause I, I really do feel like... I really do feel like it's one of those kind of weird, like, demographic things, right? Like, some people just, just like, like, it just, it resonates with them in a way that our world of WordPress and RSS doesn't. If you like one-minute page loads, then I guess it's great, you know? Well, you know when people used to say that uh, MySpace was for people who couldn't afford Facebook? I guess. Yeah, because they don't want to have to pay for college. Yeah, yeah. you know, (laughs) Tumblr sort of feels that way to me, too. You know, it's got a little bit of that. Lots of Tumblr pages you end up on could have been on MySpace, just like, oh, lots of flashing, moving things everywhere and bad typography and ouch. I've seen Tumblr's I really liked. It's it's, that that part I don't object to. It's the the mechanical part of actually using the service that really sucked. It was kind of like the opposite of Apple, you know, where it's like, oh, this is really pleasant. Well, I think it's getting better. Yeah, it, well, hopefully it is. I mean, it's been a little while, but I was just surprised how much yeah. I, I disliked it. Well, the, I, and, and again, like the, the main difference about Tumblr, I think, which is something we, would, we wouldn't notice if you just saw it as a, like a different thing than WordPress, is uh, that uh, tons and tons of people follow Tumblr through a dashboard where they're seeing all of their friends, everybody that they're following, uh, sort of intertwined. And they're kind of reblogging all the things that they like uh, on their own stream. So it's... Um, it's a lot more like, uh, well, like I said, it's, it, it behaves a little bit more like Twitter. It's really interesting. My new philosophy is that uh, uh, essentially the only difference between all these websites is that they're all these things on, on computers with a big box. And, and then you use your keyboard to type words into the box. And then something in the sky copies those words onto different computer screens. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is you, too technical. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, I'll Hold start on, over. Slow down. Okay. Here's how the internet works and how all these different internet companies, what they do. They make a big square box on your screen that you can type words into. And when you type the words into them, whatever words you type into them are then copied onto other people's computer screens. And the only difference is which other people's computer screens they appear upon. Like there's a different algorithm. So, for example, the email programs, you have to say the address of the person whose screen you want it to appear on. And in the Twitter, you get a small box, and they have to say that they want to see the things that you typed into your box. And then they see them along with other. So, really, it all we're doing confusing. is. Yeah, I know. But that's really kind of like it's just a bunch of people sitting typing in boxes, and then the words in the boxes are, are copied around this other. Very educational. <laughs> This is the craziest thing I think you've ever said on the podcast. I'm sorry. And you've said some crazy things, Joel. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe it's getting late in the day. I've already had. Yeah. This is, this is why Joel switched to Max. Yeah, should I be making more liberal use of Joel's mute button? Okay. Yeah, just can you bleep that out? Producer Alex, go Like the whole time, just bee. And then people can discuss like, wow, redacted. What did Joel say? That was okay. So... <laughs> What, uh, uh, it's all right. fun ganging up on Joel. I don't know. I got a list of four things to talk about on the podcast, and here we're okay, almost five o'clock, and I haven't talked about them. Uh, newsletters. Uh, we got like twelve thousand subscribers. Is that right? 
um, ridiculous. Like we're getting like a thousand people. Yeah, twelve thousand subscribers already to our newsletters. It's awesome. Twelve thousand subscriptions. And there is a direct link to it on Stack Exchange now. So mm-hmm. if you go to StackExchange.com and click, yep. there's a big word there's newsletter. Big, click on it. Yeah, it's in a funny place, but um, that's okay. I, whatever. It's, it's on the homepage. It yeah, it's, it's better than nothing. Um, uh, it, so slash newsletters or whatever. And and once you subscribe to one, you can subscribe to them all, and it's awesome. As I said last week, it's a big old candy store, and everything is free. Uh, you can subscribe to all those sites that you're just sort of kind of interested in, but you would never think to actually go there and see what they have. And then you know, while you're standing in line at the Starbucks, you, you'll have a little newsletter there, and you can you can read about um, you know the latest gardening and landscaping post. It's interesting. Yep, and we've been refining it. We added a greatest hits feature to the newsletter as well. So it mixes in sort of old, the, the classics, if you will. Ooh, I haven't seen that, actually. Wow, where yeah, did that sneak in? It's pretty good. I just got the hits. meta one, and it, it picked some good one. It picked a unicorn one, which is always fun. I was pretty impressed by how good the uh, – it is It is admittedly algorithmic in, in choosing what to send you in the newsletter every week. Um, but for pretty much every site, there's always something interesting there. The one, uh, the one feature we're thinking of uh, trying to squeeze in there is giving um, – either moderators or just high rep users on the site, uh, like a, an hour or so to see what questions are about to go out in a newsletter before they go out um, so that they have a last chance to kind of edit the uh, title to make it a little bit more enticing to get clicks. Right. Um, yeah, newsletters are great. Big fan. So that's uh, that's newsletters. Um, I can now delete that from my list of things to talk about on the podcast. There's a new uh, user interface for tags when you tag a question. You want to talk about that um, for about a millionth of a second, oh, Jeff? Well, you can just you can just experience it. I mean, it's on the blog right now. If you go to blog.stackexchange.com, yeah. I'll, li- I'll link it in just, the show notes. Yeah, just go to the site and start asking a question, and you'll see the new tag completion. Uh, it really highlights the wikis, which uh, we wanted to educate people about the tags. because like when should a lot you of the use tag, which tag, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the tag problems are like, oh, you're using the wrong tag, or you're using it in the wrong way. <laughs> right. So showing the wiki sort of helps people. It's like, oh, here's when you use this. Here's how you use it. That sort of thing. It's, it's really just, again, education. I mean, we're trying to teach people right. stuff. It's a great place. Like, if you're tired of people asking their Android, you know, not programming questions on Stack Overflow, then go into the Android tag and say, hey, don't ask questions no, here about no. Android phones. That's this right. is for programming. Perfect. Exactly. Uh, so that's kind of what that uh, allows. And uh, it's really slick uh, looking and, and, and awesome. Um, and uh, that's, uh, okay, we don't really have to talk about this one because we already did the, the whole general reference thing. Dev days. Oh, no, that's my list of promos. Wait, I haven't oh. gotten to that. Whoa, sorry. Jump in the gun. <laughs> Jump in the gun. Don't interfere with the list. Don't interfere. <sighs> what, what percentage of the, if you took the total number of users, this is just a teaser because we don't have this data uh, quite finished and ready to publish yet. Actually, I do in my inbox, but it's not actually published yet. Where is it? Um, we, we suddenly realized that Wikipedia keeps data on how many active, like, engaged users they have. Like editing Wikipedia articles and changing Wikipedia articles and all that kind of stuff. Um, is this the right one? Yeah, here it is. Uh, download. Get the spreadsheet. Um, and so they actually have this data, and they have a, a standard of what they consider to be a active contributor, I believe. Um, an active contributor is somebody that makes five edits a month to to something on Wikipedia. And what's really interesting is we compared. Uh, the English Wikipedia, because it's not fair to include, you know, Swahili Wikipedia and Hebrew Wikipedia and all that stuff, because we're only in English. Um, with uh, with the Stack Exchange Network, um, they have uh, in in May they had thirty seven thousand uh, users who uh, were active, made five changes, which is really small. All of English Wikipedia, there's only thirty seven thousand people that edited something five times, or edited five things. Um, uh, our number is twenty two thousand, which is pretty friggin' respectable. That's like more than half as many wow. uh, active like people typing on our site uh, as Wikipedia has. That's awesome. Pretty good. So I thought that I'd just throw that out there as a little victory lap of like, it's kind of scary that we're actually, and, and what actually surprises me is people always say, oh, you know, like 10% of your users generate all the content and the other 90% just read it. But it's really like way more lopsided than that. You know, if you have 37,000 people working on all of English Wikipedia, um, right. That's crazy. Well, it, it is continually amazing. I mean, I guess the, you can call this the John Skeet phenomenon of, of sort of your highest producing users produce an astonishing mm-hmm. amount of really good content. And uh, a lot of the stuff we do, and I think I might have mentioned this, but it bears repeating, uh, 
may actually be targeted to those, you know, two or three percent of users that that are doing the most work in the system. So yeah. even if it's a feature that's not useful to ninety eight percent of the people, if the two percent that are out there totally kicking ass are yeah. able to get ten percent uh, more, more like efficient. Point one percent, but yeah. Yeah, it's a tiny number, but I mean if it makes those people ten ten percent more efficient, it's it's a good feature. Mm-hmm. You know? Even if it makes no sense for sort of the average user. So there's really sort of two audiences you're serving and both are really important. It's a, it's a power law, not a normal distribution. Yeah, it's a power, power law. And actually, uh, if you've looked at the blog post that uh, our math intern did uh, earlier, um, it, it fits some of the mathematical predictions much more closely. It's like almost frighteningly closely to what the mathematical predictions would be. Yeah, those uh, power laws are pretty good. You should go, go read the uh, Black Swan if you haven't read it. Oh, that's, an, that's another good one. You will uh, you'll have much less respect for the normal distribution after that. Yeah. But how do you feel about the movie, though? <laughs> uh, I'm just I, I, I don't know what that means. I, I'm forbidden to watch any movies with ballet dancers. <laughs> the black <laughs> the Black Swan theory says that there's always like these crazy outlier events, and they do happen, even though they're not like predicted by any of the models. Um, and uh, in particular, um, you have at one particular investment community, the hedge fund community, is a good example of this because what they seem to be doing is doing these investments that return a higher rate of return than anybody else can get. Like they're getting 8% every single year, and it's awesome. But what they're actually doing is they're blowing up every 10 years or every 15 years. They completely exactly. blow up and lose all the money. And then they say, something just happened, which has never happened before. It's amazing. It's astonishing. We never thought that Congress would default, you know, threaten to default on the debt or whatever it is, or, or that Americans would no longer be able to afford their McMansions on, on their dishwasher salaries. And, uh, um, and then something like that happens, and they completely blow up, which is actually what was paying for the fact that they were earning 8% a year when exactly. the market rate was 1.5%. So that's the black swan theory in a nutshell and um uh, the people on wall street are like yeah it's it's all very nice of him to have that theory except that he doesn't actually make money trading on it so to hell with them <laughs> uh so uh okay some quick announcements um uh, at the end of the podcast um i should put these at the beginning and people yeah. would have to listen to them damn it exactly um, here's my uh first I, and there's a really good one at the end, so stay tuned for that one. <laughs> Number one, Careers 2.0 is a great place if you are a programmer. Uh, we touched upon that briefly in this podcast, but if you're a programmer and you would like uh, to get a better job than being a, a washer of dishes, even at Cafe Flora, um, uh, you can um, uh, post your profile on Careers 2.0. Um, it's located at careers.stackexchange.com, and it's a way of using your reputation and the questions that you've answered on Stack Overflow to show employers how awesome you are and what a great programmer you are. And it's a lot better than a resume that just lists a bunch of places that you worked. Uh, we talked about newsletters, Area 51, boring, dev days. This is important. Um, we have some conferences coming up. We've actually got, I, I guess I should just explain it as five different conferences because this has not always been completely clear. But there are four programmer conferences sponsored by the Stack Overflow. And there is a system administrator conference, which is jointly sponsored by ServerFault and the scalability, high scalability blog. Um, so uh, those are going to be held in the four programmer conferences are in San Francisco, Sydney, London, and Washington, D.C. The ServerFault um, conference, which is all about scalability, building really, really big data centers. We have somebody from Google. We have somebody from Netflix, um, et cetera. We have somebody from Facebook talking about gigantic data center stuff. Um, that's also in San Francisco, and that one is the day after the programmer conference. If you want to go to both, you can. Uh, San Francisco one is in October. Uh, Sydney one is towards the end of October. It's in Sydney, Australia. Um, that should be fun. We've spent about a million dollars on Qantas getting everybody flown down there. Um, and, of course, an extra $10,000 because I had to fly in the Airbus 380. London is in yeah, November. Yeah, everyone else is flying Air New Zealand, and we had to like <laughs> fly you completely separately yes. on Qantas I'm on sorry. completely different days I, and total different routing. I have routing. a trip card. I could die at any day, and I don't want to die without having flown an Airbus 380, and that's one of the few flights that's available. It's a, that double-decker. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. I, yeah. The plane you pa- walk onto, take a drink, and pass out on. Yeah. Totally matters which one you're on. <laughs> the Washington, D.C. Uh, one is in December, uh, and that'll be a good one. And uh, whew, to find out about all this stuff, um, go to devdays.stackoflow.com. And what's the URL for the scalability conference? I can never find that. Um, scalability? Scalability.serverfault.com. 
Hey guys, I'm gonna go because our building alarm is going off. Okay, pleasure. Well, uh, thanks very much. That was uh, Michael Natkin, who's now going to run off. Is he can be found at Herbivoracious, H E R B herb like herb like um, Uncle Herb, Herbivore. A H E. Look in the show notes. Yeah, I was, I'm going to link it from the show notes because I think you just confused people more. Thank you very much, Michael, for for being on the show. Um, we we got it's August and people are going on vacation, so we now have two count them two weeks off during which there will be no Stack Exchange podcast. Very sorry, but it's August. It's hot. I'm going up to the Adirondacks, and apparently, not only is there no internet access, but the people at the cabin we're renting think it's quaint that there's no internet access and that this is an adorable little way to get off the grid and that everybody should be happy that they have no internet access while they're on their so-called vacation instead of just stressing out about the fact that they can't check their email for two whole weeks. So, um, so you are not going with one of the satellite internet options that I researched Yeah, those you. were like $600 a megabyte, <laughs> Alex. Nice try, though. They, they were $6 a megabyte. All right. It just meant it would have been like $600 for yeah, your 100 for megabytes. My, for my daily uh, uh, Twitter feed. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they, they were like, uh, oh, you don't need internet. It's sort of like, oh, it's so quaint. There's no hospitals there. It's, it'll be like off the grid. It's adorable. Wait, you want pasteurized milk? <laughs> Only Anyhow. a few zombies. I don't know what the problem is. There's just a few. It's, it's, Only a few. It gets your blood flowing, and it's uh, yeah, an exciting, exciting way to spend your <laughs> vacation. Uh, we'll we'll have uh, we'll we'll continue to blog and push random little bits of info to you. But the podcast will resume in three weeks, and we'll see you then. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to the Stack Exchange Podcast with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood. You're listening to our premium edition. Thank you for your support of the Conversations Network. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Alex Miller. Our website editor was Alex Miller. The series producer is Alex Miller. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Exchange here on IT Conversations.